Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Yes, Lord, we welcome you this morning, Lord. We welcome your presence. We welcome your word. But more importantly, you welcome us. Father, we thank you for your invitation, Lord, your invitation that's been sent literally to the whole world. Every man, every woman that's ever been born on the face of the earth, you have invited into a relationship with you. Lord, we sang earlier that we ask that your the doors of heaven, the gates of heaven would fling wide, would swing open, Lord, but the truth is they've always been open. Lord, you're always inviting us, and all we have to do is accept the invitation. Father, I pray that every heart in this place this morning, Lord, if they haven't already, that today would be the day that we accept your invitation into a relationship with you and literally into all eternity with you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We may be seated. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. We've been in the book of James for a while in this series called Faith Works, and we're continuing that this morning. And we've been looking at a different ways that our faith works. Uh, in his letter to the, to the church, James makes it clear that our faith should function for a purpose. It should accomplish things. Sometimes the work that our faith accomplishes isn't visible, but there are also circumstances where the work and fruit of our faith is visible and should be visible. And the visible faith is the faith that James primarily concerns himself with in this letter. The faith that James is writing about isn't salvation faith or what we would call justifying faith. James is writing to believers. They've already been saved. They've already accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The letter of James is concerned with what we would call sanctifying faith. And this faith compels us to grow up spiritually. When we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again. We are made into a new creation. The Word says everything old has gone and all things have become new. At the moment of our salvation, we are a spiritual baby. And from that point forward, we have to start growing up, maturing in our faith. And the letter of James is all about this maturing process. James makes this very clear in the beginning of his letter. In James chapter 1, verse 22, he writes, But prove yourselves, doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does." James encourages the believers to be doers, not just hearers, and then says the ones that continue in God's word, actively doing it, those will be blessed in what they do. 
We have all heard the saying, that's easier said than done. Or maybe when we challenge someone's outlandish claims, we might reply, you talk a big game, now let's see you do it. I think many a teenage boy has injured himself following that statement, trying to prove that he could do what he said he could do. We all know it's easier to say we're going to do something than to actually do it. And that's what James is writing about to the church. He's saying it's easy to hear the gospel, to hear the truth and say that we believe it. And he says anybody can do that. But he's encouraging the church to be a doer of what they say they believe. Becoming a mature follower of Christ doesn't just happen. Whether in spiritual maturity or in the natural, we often want to discount the level of work and effort it takes to achieve real results. How often do we see someone succeeding maybe in their given field or in their physical fitness or in their relationships? And we look on from the outside and our thought is often, well, it just comes easier for them than it does for me. It's easier for them, but it's hard for me. And that's a lie. Nothing comes easy to any of us. You know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how this is our spiritual mature, maturity is like growing up from an infant into an adult and how we start with very simple things. You know, a baby can literally do nothing. Left alone, they would die. It takes a, a loving parent taking care of every single need that they have to to even allow them to survive infancy. And that's the way we're born into the kingdom of God, a spiritual infant. And we start out with that close uh, relationship with God, almost like on a spiritual high. But then we start growing up and we start having to mature and we get uh, to that toddler stage where someone's, our parents are trying to teach us how to walk or how to talk. And we might mumble a phrase or a syllable and and our parents encourage us and, and just continue to work with that just to get us to even say a single word. And when we do, you know, how many mothers called everyone they knew the first time your son or daughter said, Mom, you told everybody that you know. Because we're excited about the progress and that is the way our Heavenly Father walks with us in this process of sanctification. But none of us were willing to stop at that point with our children. We wouldn't be as excited if our 21-year-old son or daughter could still only say the word mom and we're still laying flat on their back. We We sure wouldn't be telling our friends and family. We want them to grow up. We want them to mature. And that's what this letter to the church is about. It's saying we have to grow up. It's a process. And we go from that to the next level of maturity. And and we go to kindergarten. And we start learning letters and numbers. And we put those things together. And then we go to the next grade. And to, to pre-teens. And then to teenagers. And then to to college. Or into our fields and marriage. And, and as we progress through our lives, we're growing up. And we see it in the physical realm, but even in that area, so often we see that progress and we look at others and just think, well, it was easy for them, but it's hard for me. But we, what we missed is the trying over and over and over and failing over and over and over and getting back up again over and over and over. 
We see the end result or, or what it appears to be on the outside and it looks so easy, but we miss the work because we're not part of their process. I remember years ago when, uh, before I had started like exercising and running and things like that, that I would look at other people, and at the time I was considerably overweight and totally out of shape, didn't do anything physical at all, just sat at a desk eight hours a day and doing that for years that had just built up into, you know, I just didn't do anything and, and just ate and slept and sat. That was, that was pretty much my life. But I looked on at other people around me who were fit and healthy, and literally, I mean, as, as stupid as it sounds, my thought was, they just naturally <laughs> have that ability. They're in shape just because. Never did it occur to me that they might be trying to, to stay fit, to eat healthy. And some of these people that I had thought that about later on, I got into relationship with them and found out most of them were literally training for marathons. They were eating healthy. They were constantly exercising day after day after day after day. And doing that work slowly over time produced results. And that is what James is talking about. We have to work. We have to put our faith to work and we'll start seeing results. People who have worked at their skills for many years make it look easy. They have put what they saw and were taught into practice and they performed those necessary tasks over and over and over again. And they've learned by experience. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes consistency over time. It takes faith and practice and it takes trying and failing and trying again. This is the spiritual maturity process that we're all called to walk in for the rest of our lives. It could be said that immature people talk about their beliefs and mature believers live out their faith. James is saying that hearing God's word and talking about God's word can never be a substitute for doing God's word. In chapter 2, verse 18, he reiterates his point and he says, you have faith. It's almost like he says, great, you say you've got faith. I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. For James, our faith is no good unless it is lived out practically every day. In each of these messages, we've been focusing on an area in our lives where we can practically put our faith to work in our life. This morning, we're going to see how faith should work in our life with people that we don't like. I'm sure this doesn't apply to anyone here this morning. Right? No one here has ever met anyone that you don't like. We all get along with everybody. So if you will, take notes for your friends this morning. And share it with them when you, when you run into them this week. We're going to look at a passage this morning that James presents in a similar manner to the way that his half-brother Jesus taught. If you didn't know, James was Jesus' half-brother. You've heard that saying, you know, we're brothers by another mother. Well, that was true for James and Jesus. James's father was uh, Joseph. Jesus's was God. If you missed the very first message in this series, you can go back and catch it online. We looked at that part of James's testimony in detail. But we're going to see that James paints a great picture for us in a parable-like manner to teach us how we're supposed to treat people that we wouldn't naturally like or that it's not easy to like. 
We're going to look at James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James is saying they're picking and choosing whom they will show favor to. They're being partial to some and ignoring others. He gave the example that if we break one part, we break the whole law. He isn't saying they have murdered or committed adultery. He's saying they've broken the law of loving their neighbor as themselves, which means they've broken the whole law. Jesus said we could sum up the whole law in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember, this isn't about earning our salvation. Our saving faith is granted by grace and mercy alone. In the very next verse, Paul says we are justified. You remember that justifying faith. We are justified by God's grace. It's a free gift that no one can earn through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The point James is making is that if we have this justifying faith, if we have been redeemed, if we have been born again, then our faith should start bearing fruit. We should be maturing And it should even show in our relationships. We should love other people, even those that may be difficult for us to love. We should love others regardless of their appearance, regardless of what they possess or what they don't possess. Because God created every man and woman in His image. And Jesus came to give us all an opportunity to have a relationship with Him. James isn't the only one who makes this point. In 1 John 4:19 through 21 the apostle John wrote that we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John's making a point very similar to the one that James makes. 
He's saying that we can't just say that we love God and then having nothing in our life that would show it. If we say we love God but don't love our brother, John calls us out as liars. He doesn't really mince words there, does he? He's saying that it's not possible for both to be true. If we truly love God and we are doers of that love, then we will love people too. There's another man in the Bible that agreed with James and John, and his name was Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't pay attention to the outward appearance of people. There's many examples of this in Scripture, but it was even obvious to Jesus' enemies and his accusers. In Matthew 22:15 and 16, it says, Then the Pharisees went, and, and you, you probably know Pharisees weren't fans of Jesus. It says they went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Jesus doesn't care about other people's opinions or how they look on the outside. And we're going to look at a few translations of this verse to get a clearer picture of what, he, what they were saying about Jesus. He says, We know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and do not care what anyone thinks, for you are not partial to anyone. You are impartial and do not regard either the person or the position of anyone. We know that you are not swayed by people's opinions because you do not show favoritism. You treat everyone with the same respect no matter who they are. And the Amplified Version says, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and that you teach the way of God truthfully without concerning yourself about what anyone thinks or says of your teachings. For you are impartial and do not seek anyone's favor. And you treat all people alike regardless of status. You know, one of the reasons that his enemies were able to say that is because they were the ones he should have been showing partiality. They were like, you're supposed to treat us better than any of these other people, and you're not. And they're trying to catch him and trap him, but they're saying, we know that you don't care about these outward things because you don't show us preferential treatment. So Jesus wasn't concerned with other people's opinions or what they thought or said to him or his or of his teachings. And he wasn't concerned with people's outward appearance. He didn't show partiality to anyone. He wasn't concerned with their position or lack of position and did not show favoritism regardless of who they were. He treated all people alike regardless of their status. And James and John both encouraged believers to follow Jesus's example They both knew that when we live out our faith, others will see that faith. Faith in Jesus Christ that actually works. It accomplishes something. It makes us different from others and sets us apart from others. And I love how Jesus didn't concern himself with that outward appearance or situation of the people that he encountered. But in addition to that, Jesus saw the potential inside of the people that he encountered. He saw the new creation they could be in Him. He saw potential in the lives of spiritually dead sinners. He saw potential in the lives of outcasts, of those that the world wouldn't give a second look. He saw a rock inside of a man named Simon, who one day he would rename Peter. 
He saw an evangelist within the woman at the well. One day he encountered a Samaritan woman alone at a well because, and the reason she was there in the heat of the day and the time that no one else went to the well was because she was an outcast in her own community. No one wanted to have anything to do with her. Jesus wasn't supposed to speak to a woman. A man wasn't supposed to speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan. He wasn't even supposed to be in that region. If you know the background of that story, he he literally changed his path and went through uh, Samaria, which there was a way they could have gotten to Jerusalem without going to Samaria. And his disciples were like, why are we going this way? But Jesus went that way because he knew there was a woman he needed to meet and a conversation that needed to be had. And he didn't let the, the ideas of the world or the, or the rules of the world apply to him. He said, I'm going to have a conversation with you. I'm going to have a relationship with you because he knew what her life could be in a relationship with him. And not only did he have this conversation with her, he forgave her of her sins and transformed her entire life. And she literally became an evangelist for him. It says she went from from going to the well alone, she went to telling her whole community about what the Lord had done for her. And Jesus saw that evangelist within her and what she could become in that relationship with him. He didn't look on the outward appearance. I was reminded, this wasn't in my notes, but I was reminded this morning of the story of the demoniac. There's a guy that it says he had a legion of demons, like over a thousand demons inside of him. And Jesus set him free and cast out all those demons. But the reason I wanted to bring that story up or that account up is because after that, after he was set free, after he was saved, it was another person that Jesus saw inside of him, an evangelist, someone that was going to preach his word and reach others. But his heart, once it had been set free, he begged Jesus to let him come with him. He wanted to become one of the close disciples that would travel around with Jesus. But Jesus said, no, that's not for you. What's for you is to spread the gospel here. He was like, I've called you to something else. And while God calls us into relationships with those around us, Jesus had 12 people that were really close to him. It's not that everyone in the world can become our best friend or that we can spend every moment of every day with every person that we meet. That's not possible. Even Jesus Christ in the flesh only had 12 that were that close to him. But he didn't look at any relationship or any person as as something that he wasn't willing to step into. And he saw what God the Father had for them if they would accept that relationship. He saw but beyond the past of Saul of Tarsus who would one day become Paul. The interesting thing with Paul is once he became a Christian, his whole life transformed, even Christians didn't trust him. They thought he was still, you know, might try to put them to death like he'd done previously. They were afraid of him because they didn't know if the work that he was saying had been done in him had really been done. But God knew and Jesus knew and he encountered him on the road to Damascus because he knew what could be done in his life. And he still wanted a relationship with him in spite of his past. Well, I'm highlighting the fact that that Jesus saw this potential in these people and he, he wanted a relationship with him and he sees what we can accomplish for Him in His kingdom once we do. That's not the point of why He loves us. 
I want to be clear that Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit don't want a relationship with us because of what they can get from us. God doesn't need anything we have to offer. What He wants is us. He wants a relationship with us. And He came to this earth to live and die and live again because He wanted that relationship with us. God created us for relationships. We were made for a relationship with Him and with others. That's why it's so important that we as sons and daughters of God love the people that He's placed around us without partiality, without favoritism. We shouldn't ever love someone for what we think they can do for us. We are called to love them because they were created in the image of God. Just like you and I. And God loves them and sent His Son to die for them just like He did for us. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Though He disapproved of their sins, it was not compromise but compassion that caused Jesus to welcome them. And when they trusted Him, He forgave them. For Jesus, it was never about what a person had or didn't have. He loved them where He found them and longed for them to choose to follow Him. I love what C.S. Lewis said regarding us and our earthly possessions. He said, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Read that again. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. It kind of reminds me of Mark 8.36. What good does it do it if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? I was reminded of a message I preached years ago about similar to this, about we can't earn our salvation. It's not about the works that earn us something. It's about the process of us growing closer into relationship with Him. But if we look at it from the work side of us trying to get closer to God in our own abilities and earn that salvation, it would be like if, if us being here on earth and God, if He was at the sun, And we know that that is a vast distance that we've, as human beings, have never been able to cross. But in our own effort, in our own ability, we think, well, I have to get closer to God on my own. I've got to repair this relationship on my own. So we climb to the top of Mount Everest in our own ability. And we say, look how much closer to God that that I am than everyone else. They're all down there. Look at me on the peak of this mountain. But in, in that span, that vast height to us is nothing. We're no closer. And that's why C.S. Lewis could make this statement that a man who's gained the entire world has no more than the man that just has God. Nothing that we can accomplish. Nothing that we can do closes that gap any visible or measurable amount. That's the justification by faith. But once we come to God in that relationship, He says, okay, now start walking with me. Start maturing. Start growing. Now you're a spiritual baby. Now you're going to grow up into a toddler, into a, a, an elementary age kid, into a, a preteen, God help us all, into a teenager, into a young adult. 
We're called to mature in Him, but it takes work, it takes effort. And when we don't see those results in an instant, so often we give up and we quit trying. But God says, I've got a plan for you. There's still time to mature. It takes a process. It doesn't happen in a moment or an instant. And my encouragement to you this morning is wherever you are, wherever you find yourself on that maturity level with God, whether you just got saved, someone here this morning may come to a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, and you'll be entered into the kingdom of heaven as a spiritual baby. That's fantastic. None of those positions, none of those places, none of those stages are more important than the other. And you can't skip any of them. We all had to go through every single stage. And a toddler can look at the, at the kid in college and say, I'm ready to be there. But you're not going to get there in a moment. You've got to go through all the stages. Don't look up or down at anyone by where they are. And for a lost person, they're living the life that they, the only life they know how to live. It's not something to look down at. And Jesus didn't look down at that. He said, you need me. You need a relationship with me. And when we see people in that place, our heart of compassion should go out to them because we were once there too. We were once lost. We once didn't know. We once didn't have any idea. But we can give the love that God has given us to them and show them that He loves and He cares and He wants them to grow with Him. Jesus said the two most important things we were called to do is love God and love people. I hope we're all encouraged to participate with God in maturing us to be able to do just that. To show the people He allows us to encounter the same love that He's shown us. God is literally surrounding us with new people. Lampasas is growing. New Covenant Church is growing. The churches around us are growing. And we're surrounded by people who need Him. And we need to pray for them. And we need to be His hands and feet to them. And I invite you to participate with us. For those of you that are new here, or maybe you've been coming for a while, I, I hope that you have felt welcome in this body. I hope that the, the people, if you look at the row behind you and the row in front of you and the people at your right and left, I hope they have made you feel welcome. And I hope you would join us and start making those others around you feel welcome as well. It takes all of us. And I invite you as you go out into the community, to your workplace, to the grocery store, wherever you go, to show the people around you that someone loves them. And His name is Jesus Christ. And He loves you. And He's called you to show them that love. And you invite them into that same relationship that we have. Will you bow your head with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank you, God, more than anything that you first loved us. Father, I pray that we would be able to give away what we have received. Lord, that we would, that we would stop being discouraged by what appears to be, uh, it appears that we're not seeing the results that we desire. It's not happening fast enough. Or we don't feel like it's happening at all. 
Father, but you are literally maturing us and growing us day by day by day. Father, I pray that every one of us who has fallen would get back up again. And we would know that you are a a close Father, a caring Father, a loving Father who's encouraging us and calling us to try again. I'm with you. I haven't left you. I'll never forsake you. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice, for his example, for his resurrection, that he made the way, that he gave the invitation, that we're all invited back into a relationship with you through his righteousness. Father, I pray that every one of us, wherever we are, Lord, if we haven't come into that relationship, that this morning we would reach out to you and come into that relationship. And if we are, Lord, that you would show us the stage that we're in, the maturity place that we're in, and that you would call us and walk with us and encourage us to continue to the next level. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The first time I heard this message at 9 o'clock, uh, I was encouraged. And the second time I heard it, I kind of got convicted. There are people that I don't care for. Nobody in here, I assure you, that you are all lovely people. Uh, but um, what scared me in, my, in that conviction was I, I, all of a sudden I felt like, oh, I need to do something about that. Those people need help. I should do something. Let me encourage you. God spoke to me at the end of this service and said, you're not responsible for fixing them. You only got to love them. The same as you. When you were in whatever place you were doing, whatever you were doing, God didn't call somebody alongside to fix you. He called somebody alongside you to love you. And that's all we're called to do. So don't feel like, oh, I got to get in there and pray with them and walk with them and hold their hand and their hair back. And no, you just got to love them. Show God's love. That's all it takes because God's the one that's going to fix them. He's the only one that can. So that's not your responsibility. Just love them. That's all we got to do. Okay. Second sermon is over. Hot off the presses. We've got our March events printed outside on these papers. Pick one up, take it home, put it on your refrigerator under a magnet. Take a picture of it with your phone and keep it electronically. It's multimedia right here. Just take it. Then you know what we're doing. I got a few quick announcements of what we're doing this week. You already saw the handout. If you need more information, go to newcovenantlampasses.com. Click on menu, upcoming events. It's all right there. Our youth tonight, junior high, senior high, it's Winter Olympics theme fun night. Show up at 430. It's cold, so they'll be good to go out there. And also tonight in the West Building at 7 p.m., our new singles youth or singles young people group is meeting 18 to 26, 7 o'clock, meet in the West Building. If you're having as much fun in your fast as I am, I'm praying for you because I'm not having fun. Um, man, what a struggle. But God is good and he's going to see us through it. He's our fortress, our strong place. He's our strength in the middle of all that. March Fifth is going to be a time of encouragement uh, where we spend time in God's presence. It's called a throne room encounter. If you haven't been to one, it's just a time of praise music, a time to spend time 
here in the auditorium at 7 p.m. on March 5th in God's presence. Just listen to him and, and some music. So uh, come avail yourselves to that. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you loved us enough to send somebody alongside that loved us to show us your love. So, Father God, I ask that throughout this week, when we see people that need your love, Father God, just let us see them through your eyes. Let us see them for who they could be because of who you are. And God, thank you that we're not responsible for the work. We're just responsible for the love. So give us your love for them that we can shine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 